This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by CuraDebt. CuraDebt Debt Counseling offers you free debt settlement consultations. You're not dealing with the banks. You're not dealing with the credit cards. You're dealing with a company that is there to work for you and not the creditors. Hey, bad things happen. Bad things happen to all of us. If you have $10,000 or more in unsecured or credit card or personal loan debt, you owe it to yourself to give them a call. Pick up the phone, call 866-951-2699 for your free debt consultation. CuraDebt will work with you and provide you with a roadmap to rebuilding your credit. It's free. You have absolutely nothing to lose, but possibly the bad stuff that comes along with debt. 866-951-2699. Gather up your statements, give them a call, and take advantage of a free consultation. 866-951-2699. Cure a debt. 866-951-2699. Now, on with the show. Welcome, 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 everybody. My name is Ryan David. I'm joined by Bert. What's going on, Bert? Not too much, Ryan. How are you doing this week? Oh, I am looking forward to another fun-filled episode here of Nerd Cognito. We've got a couple of things on deck. And it's been kind of a, a lazy week in the whole nerd dum is nerddom nerddom i don't know <laughs> it, it's been a lazy week uh i guess across the board for the things that we enjoy which is good and refreshing it gives us a little break and it's bad because there's not a lot of new stuff to talk about we do have a new board game that we're going to unpack and review for you so those of you that are nerd cognito Long-time listeners know that we have been talking about taking Alien, Fate of the Nostromo, to the Nerd Cognito table. And that actually happened, what was it, Bert, two, three weeks ago? Something like that? Something like that. And uh, we have our thoughts and our ideas from our playthrough on that board game coming up at you. We've got the news, and we're going to talk about modules in the tabletop role-playing world. We'll get Bert's favorite and talk about how modules can be kind of a blessing and a curse for the Dungeon Master. But, uh, yeah, I don't have anything jumping off the page at me as things that are screaming to get talked about on Nerd Cognito. And I kind of want to break from people screaming at me, so we're not really going to touch on any of the hot-button topics this week, Bert. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that seems fair. Yeah, the, the old orcs are racist online argument is back and it's, mm. you know i think everything that has a legitimate non-political argument has already been said mikey and i talked about it months ago on the podcast i i don't see a reason to rehash it it's kind of like the carousel is going around for for another spin and i think that's indicative of the week too it, it's it's been a slow nerdish week so people are recycling old stuff just to keep uh, the drama alive. I guess so. And I am all for a culture war in the tabletop role-playing scene. I think mm -hmm. everybody knows that I clearly stand with a tip of the hat to tradition. Yet 
a understanding and embracing of new systems. Uh, but I also stand sort of of, it's my game, it's my fun. Let's not draw real-world politics into it, which is one of the reasons why our show definitely tiptoes around politics and we don't talk about it on the air. No, that's fair. Yeah, no, I, I think without further ado, we should talk about one of our favorite franchises. I know you and I are probably the two biggest fans of the Alien franchise and the what? new board game that is hit at a incredible price point. And I think it's really a great entry game for folks looking for a quick, easy co-op to pick up. And I'm, of course, talking about Alien, Fate of the Nostromo. And it is exactly what it sounds like. It is a fully cooperative game where the players are taking on the different roles of the crew members that were aboard the fateful starship when they encountered the Beast on LV-426. So you're either Ripley, Parker, Brett, Dallas, or... Lambert. Lambert, if my memory serves me correctly. Right. And over the game, you're collecting stuff, which was scrap in game language. You were crafting items, and you had a bunch of community objectives that you had to fulfill to win the game. The crew wins by fulfilling their objectives or loses by losing all of their morale. Morale is the sole... I guess, gauge for losing the game. What was your thoughts, just generically, uh, about Alien Fate of the Nostromo, Bert? We'll go into some specifics of the gameplay later, but... Sure. I I love the fact that thematically, and I don't know if this is something that people know, um, thematically, it's based around the very first Alien movie. The Nostromo was the original ship, the original Xenomorph encounter, and the original crew. So all the characters that you know from that movie are represented. Um, The items that you were trying to build and things like that were items that they were, that were represented in the movie, you know, the flamethrower, the flamer and things like that were things that they built to try to deal with the alien. Like it was very true to theme, which I thought was a great uh, thing to see. Right down to being able to craft a cat carrier. (laughs) as one of the items that you can craft in the game. Yeah, it it was a clear throwback to the original Ridley Scott Alien. I thought that the art was pretty good. I would have liked a little bigger board. It felt a little crammed. But I also Mm -hmm. understand that they were looking to hit a price point. It's a $40 game, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot even sneeze and hit a decent co-op in that price range. Right. I agree with you that the board was a little cramped, but the uh, the pieces and things seem like they're going to hold up. They're decent quality and sturdiness for what you get for the price point. I, I absolutely agree. And in fact, the sculpts on the minis was great. Uh, the one complaint that I had was there weren't enough minis. There, there were two standees in the game. Uh, one was Ash, the the synthetic, and one was a alien marker for the morale track. And at that point, with only two more sort of gaps to fill in, put the extra dollars worth of plastic in the game. 
and instead of I hate standees, man. You you know I have like a visceral oh, yes. reaction when I have to pop a piece of cardboard into a standee. It's kind of a running gag with our group, huh? It is. You hate standees. You hate. If cardboard has to go into a tab, you get mad. I do. I get very angry. And I have a visceral, physical, and emotional reaction, which makes zero sense. (laughs) But I despise standees. Uh, I wanted to see two more pieces, two more miniatures. And I'm going to fire up the 3D printer and accomplish that (laughs) (laughs) if we bring it to the table again. Um, I... I think that you should try to do a, a little uh, face hugger for the morale uh, board. I think that would be a better marker, I think. I agree. I think a tiny little face hugger to scurry up and down the morale track would be would be amazing. Let's talk about some of the actual gameplay, Bert. I'll let you sort of recap what you can remember, and I'll fill in the blanks. Okay, well, I mean, the, the gameplay, it's, the mechanics itself were pretty simple. I mean, you would... Um, move through the ship, you would be gathering resources like scrap and coolant tanks, using that scrap to make useful items that you could use to kind of manipulate the environment. Um, And I'm going to jump in here and say that for anyone that has played Pandemic, uh, our group immediately said, well, this is very Pandemic-esque because every crew member on their turn has four distinct actions that they perform, including movement. And whether it is picking up scrap or moving or trading, it, it, it did feel very pandemic-ish in the actual turn sequence, so to speak. But that's where the similarities between pandemic sort of end. Agreed. Uh, there, You know, you didn't have to worry about you know, like an infect cascade, there was no like super event like that as as far as this is concerned. Now, the thing that I thought was interesting was the um, sort of surprise event. If you moved into an area with a door indicator or with a, I was, I can't remember, with a hatch indicator, basically, you would have to open that hatch to see whether or not there was an alien inside or whether there was, the cat was inside or whether it was empty. Right. And I, I will say, um, and I forget the the actual vocabulary that was used for those tokens as well, but we'll call it the hatch for, for now. Um, I agree, and it, it really was interesting how the game put those pieces out. For anyone that has played any sort of semi-autonomous co-op, um, aliens sort of blended that whole pandemic m- mode where you're doing an event at the end of each turn, like a mini-event, but also on the event card, it dictated what resources and potential dangerous stuff happened on the board. So you resolved your event, and at the bottom of the card, it would say, you know, you're going to put this hatch here, or you're going to put some scrap in this location, or the alien is going to move two steps towards the nearest player. Um, so it really did take the bricks out of the briefcase. You didn't need a referee player. You didn't need an experienced player to run the board. The board sort of ran itself, and I think that that is great considering that you're looking at a shorter-form co-op. We played it in what, about an hour? 
About an hour, uh, maybe a little over. Once we read through the rules, there was no difficulty in, you know, um, getting used to the game style, getting uh, getting the rules down. Like, it was very easy to pick up and play. Right. It I, was, I thought it was great. It, it was, was perfect. very streamlined. And, uh, you know, I alluded to it at the beginning. We, a couple of weeks ago, talked about some entry-level co-ops that would be good for folks that, that wanted to bring a co-op to their group that wasn't necessarily a group made of seasoned co-op players. And this would be one that could make that list that you could readily go, not spend a fortune on, and give your group a complete co-op experience, although a little bit lighter, but still challenging. I mean, we lost... We did. And, I mean, we the alien killed us. We rock co-ops, and um, we lost on our playthrough, but it was a fulfilling loss. Um, I, I don't know what to say. I, I really enjoyed the game for what it is. I think that you could beef it up with some expansions, but again, they're hitting that price point, and... Like I said, you can craft the fucking cat carrier. That's great. <laughs> right. I mean, the, the idea behind it, you know, is the the concept is solid. The theme, it stays true to the theme. It's easy to pick up and play. And it's $40 out of the box. I mean, what more do you want for like an introductory co-op game? Not to mention, um, it does preserve the feeling of that alien movie. There was always, I guess unsettled anticipation for right. where and what the alien was doing. There was a bit of luck with it, but it wasn't luck that could not be mitigated. And I think that that is important too. You truly won or lost within a turn, you know, we'll give luck, we'll call it luck can have a turn and a half's worth of, of game time, so to speak. But you really won or lost based on your adaptation to what was happening on the board. True, true. Uh, and, you know, and, and you, and like you said, you know, thematically, you still had those, oh shit moments. You were, you wound up in a room with a hatch and you're like, what's going to be in there? Like, if it's this, I'm in a lot of trouble. If it's blank, I'm safe, but you don't know until you turn it over. So that, that, uh, that was kind of nice to see. Um, one thing that I thought, um, and this is just because of how we play. We selected our characters at random. Going in for another playthrough, since each character has a unique ability, it might behoove us to read through all the characters' unique abilities and since we're playing as a co-op, try to build like a, a cohesive unit or use those abilities to our best advantage. Absolutely. We also did play the more vanilla version that did not include Ash, the synthetic. And there are rules that... that do include Ash, and it turns up the difficulty a little bit, but we were looking to bang a couple of games out in an evening, so being that it was our first playthrough, we took it at face value, went through the rules. Normally, we would be like, yeah, 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 advanced rules, but in, in this case, we said, no, we're going to go through as written and play it as relative newcomers to the scene, and it, it was good. I, I cannot say anything bad other than the standees i don't like the standees <laughs> what was your yeah, you um, didn't like the standee or or the cramped board you didn't like i didn't like the cramped board but I, the board was okay 
it was large enough that it wasn't compromising play. Does that make sense? We it weren't does. we weren't stacking component on component on component in a square. I would have liked the board to be just one extra size category, right? It was a four-fold board. I would have liked it to be a six-fold board just for space. I also think it could have conveyed the flow of the ship a little better had they had more space to work with. But I completely understand the cost element and that board being the way that it is contributed a lot to the cost element. Best and worst, what do you think was the best part of the game? I mean, as a uh, as an old school alien fan for years and years, I have to say for me, the fact that everything in it stayed true to the theme, like the original Ridley Scott's Alien to me holds a de- near and dear place in my heart. You know, it's uh, it was a masterpiece of the time. And so for me, the fact that it was uh, that it stayed true to that theme all the way through, I think was the best part for me. How about the, the biggest downside for you? Uh, the biggest downside that I found was, um, you know, normally I don't like games with a with a random element of of any type. You know what I mean? But in this case, it was necessary. So uh, my my least uh, my least favorite part was kind of getting screwed over by by a random element. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? right. So you would have hated if we br- did bring in Ash because the Ash rules pretty much just have Ash rampaging around the ship he's removing resources from the board and just dinging morale here and there that's that's literally his function so he's taking time off of the the wind clock for you and making it harder to craft things i did think it was pretty easy without ash to gather resources uh so i can definitely see our our next playthrough having the evil maniacal (laughs) well he's not evil He's just doing what he was told. Right. He's the company man. <laughs> yes, so he is. <laughs> um, again, I think I, I adequately covered the things that I disliked being the, the board and the standees. The, the best thing that I liked about it was, for what it was, it didn't try to be more, and it focused on being very successful in a small-scale co-op. And I think it pulled that off. I, I can't think of another co-op in this price point. I, I One just popped into my head that, that would be equivalent, but I think it's even a little more expensive. I mean, you get this is carried in Target. You can pick this up for, on a good Target sale, probably 30 bucks. Right. Um, I, I can't think of something that does this this well. If you want to take a step away from the standards, like a pandemic, I, I'm, I'm all for it. So own it, play it at my house, or run away. Um, I think I would definitely buy a copy. I can think of a few people who would enjoy playing this with that's not part of our regular group. I think it's an own, too, if nothing else, because there's no investment in it, right? It's, it's, it's a cheap, fun fulfilling experience in the alien world period I, look at me buy me an ice cream <laughs> because <laughs> um, I really don't have anything to really rail against this game on it is cheap it is good it is fun it is short so you could it, it 
it almost can qualify as filler. Because I'll bet you once you know the rules, you can get this down in 30 to 45 minutes. If you had a group that has played this before and already knows what they're doing, you literally just need to set up and jump in. Boom. Yeah, because we were only a turn or two away from winning when we lost. So, I mean, either way, we would have been slightly over an hour. As per the usual for our group, we were on the action to win the game when we lost. So, you know, from a design perspective, hey, that's a big thumbs up. Now, we, to be fair, we only played it once, so I don't know how accurate of a gauge that is. But if it comes within a turn or two all the time, that's a great design and balance thing that, that a lot of co-op games have some struggles with. Um, I'm, I'm curious. The other co-op that popped into my head was the Big Book of Madness. Okay. Uh, I'm going to look it up right now. And I'm going to have people yelling at me because they can hear me typing. And I'm just curious where it falls in the price range. I think it's it's very comparable. Yeah, 30 to 40 bucks. Right. Big Book of Madness, I think, is a little more uh, cartoony, you know, thematically. It is. It's a little crunchier, too. It, it does go a little deeper. Right. Again, I don't know what its availability would be because it is an older... God, listen to me. It's five years old, Bird. It's it's an old lady. <laughs> <laughs> but Alien, Fate of the Nostromo, big thumbs up from the Nerd Cognito table. You know, I would love to give a big thumbs up to this every week, but usually it makes my brain hurt. Oh, what the Time hell? Here's the news. The news. <laughs> I don't think my brain's going to hurt this week, Bert. Why? What do we got in the news this week, Brian? Oh, I, nothing that made me super cringe. I think um, the news is kind of benign this week. Hmm. A benign news week. A That's benign a news week. And uh, we're going to start out, you know, might as well transition with the cat, right? We had Jonesy on the board. Now you can be a cat in a new video game release that caught my eye just because uh, it's it's a sounds fun. The game okay, is slated to be released in the very near future this summer, and it is called Stray, where you are a cat wandering around a very cyberpunk, think Blade Runner, city. Hmm. The game has the player as a cat wandering around the streets of, quote, a long-forgotten cyber city, unquote, inhabited by all sorts of weird robots and people. Along the way, it makes friends with a cute drone. It promises to be a game that lets you, quote, see the world through the eyes of a stray and interact with the environment in playful ways. Be stealthy, nimble, silly, and sometimes as annoying as possible with the inhabitants of this strange foreign world. You're okay. a cat. Walking around an alley. Doing cat stuff. Doing cat stuff in cyberpunk land. <laughs> it reminds me of, uh, an, is it Japanese? Because the uh, first thing I think of is Mr. Mosquito. Do you remember Mr. Mosquito? I do remember Mr. Mosquito. I also, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Chibi Robo. Okay. Chibi Robo is what I thought when I first saw it. Um, it is on Steam. It is Blue 12 Studios, so it is not 
a dedicated Japanese developer. Interesting. They are French. (laughs) 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 We will have the cat, and he will walk around this pan-Asian city (laughs) in the future. Oh, wow. That that is terrible. I know. Right? Oh. What, am I not allowed to say, is Pan-Asian illegal now? Am I going to get canceled for Pan-Asian? I don't think so. I, I was talking about your French accent. Well, yeah, of course my awful. French accent yeah. is terrible. <laughs> are, you the, are you the chef from The Little Mermaid? No, you know you know where I, where I patterned my French accent off of was Jacques Pepin. Hamburger. Okay. We make the hamburger. <laughs> you know, that, that's it. It's, it's Jacques with a little bit of, like, the mic intonation. With Jacques' pronunciation, that, that's, wow. Okay, that's that's. Now you know. Now you you too can do the RD French man accent. Um, yep, stray coming out soon. No price point mentioned at all, which I find very curious. I'm sure it's there if I were to dig deep, but in none of the articles nor on Steam is there a price point that's mentioned. I think it's about a twenty dollar game. Okay. But, uh, yeah, who doesn't like pussy? It's kind of a unique experience. I mean, as far as games go, thematically, it sounds like it would be interesting just from that for that reason alone. I, I thought it just sounded fun. And the art style is kind of what I wish the new D&D stuff would be. You know, we talked about last week how Spelljammer, you, I think you used the term whimsy, right? Right. Spelljammer always had a whimsy feel, but it always had some grit to it, where the new Spelljammer has a whimsy feel and a lot of, oh, I don't know, to it. It, 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 it doesn't feel as cartoony. I'm going to shoot this picture over to you, which is a screenshot from Stray. Oh, wow, okay. It has almost the identical color palettes as the Spelljammer stuff, but it has the grit that I wanted to be in Spelljammer. Right. I mean, you've got you know, you've got all the neon and the bright colors, but you've also got the dirty street and the uh, you know. It 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 just looks fascinating, and as probably a proof of concept game, I think it will get a lot of buzz when it first launches, and then fade into obscurity as those things do. Just like Chibi Robo. Did you play Chibi Robo? I did not. Oh. I played Mr. Mosquito, but I never played Chibi-Robo, but I am familiar with it. I loved Chibi-Robo. I thought it was great. It was ridiculously great. And that was super, super Japanese. <laughs> Very, yeah. Um, yeah, no. I probably will take a second look at Stray. I don't know if it's going to be a must-pick-up for me, but if I can pick it up on a good Steam sale for a couple bucks off, yeah. I definitely will do that. Why not? Piggybacking off of my pseudo-transition, talking about Spelljammer and, you know, just cyberpunk and space, the Starfinder board game is getting a little more information starting to pump out. Um, It's based on the tabletop role-playing game of Starfinder, of course, right? Right, which was a variant of, like, Pathfinder. Right. The The board game is two to four players becoming a band of thieves and attempting to steal a high-tech ship. 
So it is a very nuanced element. Like, obviously, you're not going to get a whole campaign in it, but it is a co-op where you are ultimately tasked with the goal of stealing this ship. As a member of the crew of these galactic, I guess, ne'er-do-wells, you must hijack and fly away the target ship so that you can become the greatest space pirates ever. <laughs> um, okay. The interesting thing is you are cooperatively playing the game, but you are rivals in crew members, and you're scrambling to win the title of captain before you fly off into the stars. So it's cooperative with a competitive element. Throughout the game, hmm. players are going to take turns to complete various objectives spread all across the ship, right? You're going to use your ability, equipment, your stats to do the tasks and gain the support of the crew. As the game goes on, you can customize your character a little bit, get some new abilities and styles of play. Looks pretty cool, Bert. I really think that this, this might be uh, a board game that not a lot of people are putting attention on. I can't say that it's not getting any coverage. People know that it's coming. But we're almost there. It's looking at a release in August for 60 bucks. Hmm. And, and uh, you were never a fan of like Pathfinder or Starfinder in general. So to have you sort of, you know, promoting the game this way, that's uh, that's pretty out of character. I, I'll have to check this out. The game looks great. And I don't want to say that I'm not a fan of Pathfinder. I'm not a fan of the fact that Pathfinder enables power gaming, you know? I'm not a fan that Pathfinder promotes min-maxing. <laughs> um, if we were to play a campaign, and you, let's say you were you were going to DM it, right? And you say, hey guys, we're playing Pathfinder. Fine. Absolutely cool. I know that our group will stay in line. If you said, hey, I want to run a campaign at the friendly local gaming store. Can you come up every Tuesday night? I'd say, um, I would love to, but how are we going to vet the players? And how are you as DM going to rein it in when you get one of these dick stacks? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I guess I can see that. The uh, the thing about Pathfinder that I like is the customization is definitely there, but the uh, you're right, it can get... Develop, they, people can develop some pretty broken characters. It, it is a recipe for broken characters, and it kind of encourages it. That's, that's my only issue with Pathfinder. Now, I clearly have more issues with 5th edition than Pathfinder, so given the choice of the two, I would play Pathfinder. And I've never played Starfinder. I think if our group were going to play a space adventure, it would probably end up being Traveler. Uh, Traveler is a good one. Stars Without Number has been a lot of fun to play. I've been playing that one with... Uh, a group of friends, and as somebody who is a space pirate, I mean, that is... Uh... <laughs> oh, no, you've had nothing but good things. I've read through Stars Without Number several times, and I think that it's very doable. You do need the right group for that system, though. Right. I mean, it's a very simple setup, and you really, like, it's more tied to theme and roleplay right. than it is to, like, crunchy numbers. I equate Stars Without Number more towards the fate end of the roleplaying spectrum 
versus the Rollmaster end of the role-playing spectrum. So, fair, that's fair. Um, no, Pirates of, Sky- of Skydock, I think I'm going to pick it up, Bert. I-, I just said it, right? It's The price is right. It's sure. not a crazy expensive game. I definitely think that there is a lot of room for growth. And again, I don't hate Pathfinder. I just hate the players that it has birthed. <laughs> and I mean, it's a co-op, which we love. It's got a competitive element, which we enjoy. You know, they're, normally when we play a uh, co-op, we wind up ch- tending to trend towards something that either has a competitive or a trader mechanic as part of the play in general. I do like a good trader mechanic, for sure. I don't know that this necessarily has a trader, but it does have that competitive element. This is one journey through the cosmos that I think we're going to see in, in the near future. I look forward to it. Another element of the cosmos, the evil cosmos, <laughs> would be things from, oh, the cosmic horror genre. And oh, one of our favorites. One of you, our fa- Yours and mine. Yes. Uh, we are looking at a new RPG. Okay. That smashes together Eldritch Horror and Ancient Rome. Interesting. Cahors Cthulhu. How do your Roman legions fare against the Elder Gods? So there is a new epic historical fantasy RPG. Cohorus Cthulhu, which is bringing the horror of Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos to the days of ancient Rome. It apparently builds off of Modiphius. That's the, the developer. If you follow any war games, you know that they have a Cthulhu-based World War II game. Octung Cthulhu, which I almost <laughs> bought, uh, <laughs> I, I've got to say. Uh, but it plans to use that setting for the new RPG as long as well as a war game in miniatures line. So the first look that was released looks pretty good. The new setting takes place in the same universe as Octung. My German's not great. I don't even try German. Last time I tried to do a German accent, I think it ended up being Russian. <laughs> okay. Um, and it uses a variant of their 2D20 system. So it's the same as Star Trek Adventures, Dishonored, the Fallout RPG, Dune. Um, it does okay. allow you to bring your tabletop role-playing into the ancient Roman world, which is fascinating for me. I'll read you straight from their tear sheet. Fickle as humanity's gods may be, they are sometimes the only recourse against those from beyond the stars. Nayar Lahotep, god of a thousand forms, has unleashed a myriad of schemes to corrupt once sacred cults across Rome, Germania, and beyond. In the shadows lurk powerful, corrupted survivors of Atlantis, their minds having been twisted by the shattered god whose alien intellect has infected Atlantean relics upon which their power lies. So, sounds pretty deep into the Cthulhu mythos right away. I mean... It does. Sarthothis was mentioned. That's the Shattered God, if if my Cthulhu mythos is correct. I know you are... They did mention Nilar Hotep. 
Yeah, the the dark pharaoh himself, which is always an interesting one. Um, I think that uh, this this reminds me of. Did you ever play the Call of Cthulhu role playing game, like the tabletop role player? We've tried. <laughs> okay, they had a source book at one point in time called Cthulhu Invictus. which was an expansion for Call of Cthulhu that took place in ancient Rome. So it sounds almost like a similar concept, although this is fleshed out to be a separate, like a a system by itself, which I think is interesting. It's not an expansion on an established system. They're actually banking on this setting being uh, one that people can get excited about by itself, which I think is amazing. Right. Going straight to their website, um, they acknowledge that it's going to be running on their 2D20 system, which I have never played. I'm almost embarrassed. Is is this a bent corner on my nerd card? I've never played their system. Um, And it's big. You know, I know that Star Trek Adventures was reasonably well-received. I know that the Fallout role-playing game was also well-received. Uh, the Dune role-playing game. Dune, uh, they—they're all running that same two D system. So, it is—it's still running two D twenty. It's a narrative war game. It allows you to get it to the table from what they claim from page one. So, no wow. prep necessary. Go straight to the table. I'm—I'm I'm assuming that's running something on rails, but still, that's impressive. Absolutely. Um, and they are having, you know, the add-ons stack up, including a complete minis line, which are scaled to 28 millimeters for the people that are insane. We love you people that are insane. It's you're, it's just not my bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm interested. I will uh, shoot you some of the teaser videos after okay. we get off the air because this this is looking pretty good. And it's an excuse for me to finally, finally, finally give them a little bit of business and sort of dip my toe into their system because I've heard about their system for quite some time and just haven't gotten around to playing it, you know? Right. I mean, I had looked into the Dune role-playing game. I was excited. I was was thinking about getting it. But with the group of people that we have, not huge Dune heads. I can't see them being excited about forming a House of the Lonstrad and, you know... And I would assume to be successful and get full enjoyment out of the Dune RPG, you really have to be deep into the Herbert mythology. So, um, probably a good move. You know, like like I said, you are my Dune barometer, Bert. Right. And, I'm the um, Dune. I'm the Dune guy in our group. Yeah. I know enough about Dune to to get around. I know that I dislike the terrible movie from the '80s. I know that I haven't seen the new one yet, and I know that I made it 94% through the first book, but never had a desire to go further. So that's sort of where... where and not because it was bad, just because it, it, was, it, was, it was like work. <laughs> you but got, you did like the Dune Imperium board game. I, I did kind of like the Dune Imperium board game. I don't know if it's at the top of my list. Right, right. I understand. I, I know people do love it. Um, 
but I, I I'm more than lukewarm, but I'm not ready to take it to bed. How's that sound? That's fair. I'm glad that I didn't uh, didn't sign up for that series then. Uh, I'm still I'm still considering the uh, I'm still considering getting the Blade Runner materials together. Much more exciting for me to to play the Blade Runner RPG. So uh, I fully endorse that. Now, what about the other guys in our group? I think they'd be more likely to get behind this one because of the the Cthulhu and the old gods type the cosmic horror. I absolutely agree with you. I do think that they would have more initial buy-in. I don't think that they would refuse playing it. Oh, no. But I think that they would have deeper buy-in playing this. And we could always, you know, Octung is already out. We can give that a shot, too. But I think Ancient Rome is far more appealing to me than World War II. I can't disagree. I mean, that it's an interesting period in history. It's... uh how do I want to put this? It's far enough back in history that you don't have to worry about some of the like modern like elements, but it's recent enough that you still know enough about it to kind of get yourself into trouble. Right. I agree. I agree. So on the radar, we'll check it out. I uh, just put Octung in my cart. <laughs> <laughs> just because I, I want to take a, another detailed look at the system, and if we can do it, hey, Cthulhu plus Nazis, it's like, who doesn't like both? <laughs> <laughs> Last but not least on the news this week is I don't know how to, I don't know how to take this one, Bert. Okay. I hold my breath with this one because as you know, there are are quite a few new television series that are coming out of our beloved fandoms. True. Some of them have been excellent. I'm looking at you, Picard. I don't care what you haters say. It's great. No, it's not Star Trek. There's not a ship, right? Well, there is a ship, but you know what I mean. Um, but I'm also looking at some not-so-great ones. <coughs> Halo. Right? Okay. Right, right. Well, the Fallout television series is looking to start filming in June. So All right. we still don't have a release date. We still don't have much solid information about it. But we do know now that they're starting to film, which means that running on today's timelines, we could see it hit as early as six months from now or as late as two years from now. True, we could be looking at a November release sometime next year or, you know, going into the future from there. Now, what do we know about it? Because I have not heard about this at all. What do we know about it? Well, we knew, we know that it is operating under the pseudonym of Hondo. And if you're familiar with Hondo, Mm -hmm. you know that it is the famous John Wayne movie. And the cowboy aesthetic that was very prominent in Fallout New Vegas perfectly aligns with the Hondo movie. If you've ever, you know, there's 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 a whole subculture that has gone through Fallout New Vegas because they're crazy and we love them for doing it and aligning things up with John Wayne movies. <laughs> but, but Hondo is the one. Um, 
Who's doing it? It is Big Indie Pictures. What do we know about the plot so far? We know that uh, there's no official word, but a lot of people from the writing and development teams of the Fallout games, specifically from Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas, have been tapped. Hmm. We also know that Walton Goggins of Justified has been cast as a ghoul that should be a lead in the series. We know that Ella Purnell of Yellow Jackets will play a human named Gene. There's also rumors of a third character who's wearing power armor, of course, and probably a BOS member. Will okay. be the next cast member to be announced. That's really all we know. There have been murmurs and buzzing, but nothing confirmed that it will be set in Texas, which is certainly a blank slate for the Fallout universe. Right. I was going to say, because a lot of the other areas have been developed by the games, but Texas never was. Right. Other than that, that's all we know. We know it's Big Indy that's doing it. They're Amazon shows, so it's being Wherever written and directed up. by Geneva Robertson Dorwit, which I don't know who that is, and Graham Wagner, who I do know, but there's no word on who else is officially a writer or the number of episodes that are being planned. Still worth keeping an eye on, though. I, I'm a huge Fallout fan, have been for years, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with the story. I mean, it's got to be better than Halo, right? Oh, anything's going to be better than Halo. Halo was doomed as soon as Master Chief took off the helmet. And, you know, I hate to say it, but Master Chief, the whole allure behind Master Chief was that he was a nameless, faceless murder machine, right? <laughs> <laughs> there is that. I don't want him to have emotions and feelings and build connections. I wanted to build connections with the people around Master Chief. And, uh, I don't know. Uh, have you watched any of the Halo series? I have not. Not. Just couldn't get excited about it. Not recommended. Not recommended at all. I, I, I can't say anything that would be a, oh, you gotta watch this. Where... I look at some of the, the stuff that's out right now, and there's at least something I could say, oh, yeah, that was good. Or, you got to see this. Or, I know that the internet nerds are yelling about this, but this was great. You know, I always try to play devil's advocate. Sure. When I'm not stirring the pot. Like, legitimately, <laughs> I can't find um, any good reason to encourage someone to watch that show. It's it's not good. And that's a shame, because it had the potential to be. It did. It did. I think the next one that I'm looking forward to is another Star Trek property, Strange New Worlds. and That one I'm kind of excited about, too. Some episodes have leaked to press, not to the public, thank goodness. And the folks that were able to see the leaks are saying that this is the Star Trek series that the Star Trek fans that hate Star Trek want. So that's good, you know. 
bring some harmony because the newer Star Trek properties, I think that they were excellent. Discovery this season fell a little flat. I think the first three seasons were excellent. But it really, really did rattle some cages, as does all new Star Trek shows, right? <laughs> I remember when Next Gen came out. Oh, you, you, this is going to be terrible. There's there's the infamous newspaper article that now makes its way around the internet. And I like to just take a picture of it, and anytime anyone complains about New Trek, I just like to cut and paste that photo in, and that's my only comment. Because, you know, Star <laughs> Trek fans hate anything that's not been established for decades. <laughs> yeah, let's look at it, you know. The show came out. Most fans on the first run, historically, didn't like the show. Then the show hit syndication, and it found its stride in syndication. Then the movies came out, and most fans uh, were really bristly at the movies. And I get it, motion picture was not great. <laughs> motion picture was kind of odd, the, first, I, the very I, first one. I would watch Star Trek V before I would watch the motion picture. Oh, come on. <laughs> Nobody would watch Star Trek V before the motion picture. Spock's brother is God! Um, <laughs> but anyway, you know, the, the movies came out. Eh, Star Trek fans took a while to warm up to them. They didn't really warm up to them until... I want to say Khan, but Khan was sort of like that retcon, ha ha ha, warm reaction too, because people weren't really into the Star Trek films at that time. I think the first Star Trek film that I remember people being excited about was Star Trek Four, and that was not a great movie to get excited about either. There be whales here, Captain. I remember seeing Search for Spock at the drive-in with my dad in the rain and like half the people left and everybody like it was me and my dad and my mom and my brother and sister everybody was asleep except for me and my dad and we could not get enough of search for spock you know am i a snob i hate drive-ins really i do i hate drive-ins i didn't like them as a child i didn't like them as a young adults when they st started to have their little resurgence, at least in my area they did. You remember the one driving out by the airport that used to show porno? <laughs> yes. Well, then they, when I was coming out of high school and going into my undergrad, they started, well, they changed owners and they dropped the porno and they went back to a traditional drive-in. Didn't like it then. After my first divorce, I took a couple of gals to the drive-in. Didn't enjoy that experience. I don't. Here's here's what I don't like: there's kids running around everywhere. There's all sorts of people around you. It's outside, so either you're sitting in your car, which is a terrible experience, or you're sitting outside, which is an equally terrible experience. There's no surround sound. Not, not for me. Back in the day, the sound was coming out of this little can that was on your window. Not for me. My, For me, it was... I, I grew up... At, when I grew up, we didn't have much. My, uh, my dad worked two jobs, and uh, the only way I really got to see a movie on the big screen 
was at the drive-in because we could all go. It was like five bucks a car load. I was going to say, you we paid would, by the car back then. Right. My parents would make their own snacks and like we would have a cooler of sodas and a bag of homemade snacks and we were getting to go to the movies and you'd see two shows, sometimes two shows and a cartoon, right? depending on what was going on. But like that was the way I saw a lot of movies as a child. Like the I would have I might have never seen Sp- Search from for Spock until it came to TV, um, without the drive-in. Like the there were a lot of movies that I went with my dad and saw at the drive-in. So it's kind of nostalgia for me. Is it the most comfortable way to watch a movie? No, everybody knows the most comfortable way to watch a movie is to lay in your own bed and watch it. <laughs> watch it. <laughs> On the big screen TV you put up in your bedroom with the surround sound, and you know, and you know everything that you just said should be really appealing to me. I'm kind of a grass like I have my snooty moments, and I acknowledge them and I embrace them. But I also am kind of a grassroots guy when it comes to yeah, let's pack a cooler, let's you know put a six pack of beer in, let's make some Kool Aid, some some homemade stuff. All of that should appeal to me. But it doesn't. It doesn't. If we were really, if we were well behaved, and my dad had had a good week at work, we at intermission we would all go down to the concession stand and get hamburgers in those little foil bags. I remember the little foil bags. I do love the little foil bags. After my dad, after my dad retired, I took him to the drive-in just so we could go get hamburgers in the little foil bags at intermission. That's because you are a great son. Speaking of, of, of moms and dads, since the news is light, oh, we just booked airfare. We're coming up. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah, we're, we're coming up, right? We can't wait to see you. Uh, uh, Mom, Dad, when, when are you guys coming up? I mean, uh, I, I, I broke down. I said, I'm going to come down and see you shortly. Um, we bought tickets for Monday. <laughs> for Monday. For Monday. <sighs> we know that you have a light week planned this week. Yeah, I have a light week by design because my last three weeks have been legitimately insane. <laughs> uh, uh, we're going to come up and see you. Yeah, Monday. Uh, uh, let's see. And that's my news for the week. <laughs> So that is our news for the week. Certainly stuff worth talking about. Hey, Bert, I've got a question for you. Okay. Hit me. I want you to think back in your gaming lifetime, either as a DM or as a player, and I want you to tell me what module... And I, I use that lightly because we know that the best DMs are never going to run a module as written, right? But what True. module was your favorite to either play in or run of all time? Pick your fave. I know. It's a hard yeah. question. See, folks, I, I didn't let Bert in on, on, on this segment only because we didn't know we were going to do this segment. We just scrapped our previous segment <laughs> because it was terrible. Um, I, w- I, w- I will give you a hint, though. 
That's all I'm going to say. We were, we were talking about that in the previous segment, and I just wasn't going to have negativity today. So, um, do you have it? Do you know what was your favorite? Well, I would have to say um, it really kind of depends on, like, what level you're talking about. Because, like, I played some great intro modules that, that I can remember. Like, the one I'm thinking of was a Dark Sun campaign setting. Road to Yurik, it was called. Road to Yurik. I don't think I've played that one. Right. So basically, um, it was for four to six characters, levels three through six. I had to look up the blurb to make sure I was giving you the right one. Basically, um, the player characters are citizens of a free city, and they have to help organize the city's divided factions to resist the approaching uh, army of Yurikites. There's like squabbles and feuds, making alliances. It's uh, it was uh, really interesting to play. Like our, our DM did a good job of running it. There were lots of, of different factions and things involved, so it made it for an interesting sort of expand uh, um, adventure. That sounds great, and and I think that would have a lot of legs too to go for a long time, huh? Right. I mean, they, they use that as a sort of a jumping off point because the alliances and the enemies you made during Road to Yurik kind of stuck with us. By the time we finished the module, we were right around level six. So we were getting into that sort of middle phase. Like when you were playing Dungeons and Dragons second edition, when you got to level six, your characters finally had some legs. You were less likely to just accidentally die. Right. You're outright. halfway there. I mean, so after that, they kind of expanded that because the enemies that we made and the alliances that we made in that module kind of followed us into our later later levels. I, I, I think that that sort of goes along with where a module should be, right? A module obviously is a DM crutch, and there's nothing wrong with using a DM crutch. Oh, sure. A, good, a well-written module can be a great tool for a DM. And it... Definitely a, a great module allows the party to grow within the module. Like I said, I don't think I would ever enjoy, and I'm going to throw Douglas under the bus here, 20-some years ago. It was third edition. I know that. We thought it would be fun to buy what was then called World's Largest Dungeon. I don't know if you remember this supplement. <laughs> I do not. World's Largest Dungeon was like a 1,000-page module. Um, oh, no. I, I, I should look it up. And Doug probably still has the book because I was like, you keep it. I'm never going to do this. But it was giant. Giant. And I use the term giant ironically because the dungeon was a former giant's dungeon, at least the section that we finally got through before we threw in the towel okay anyway doug was running world's largest dungeon doug was running it straight by the book on rails and although one of my favorite characters of all time was the character that i created for that campaign it was not a great experience because there was very little customization and this is 
no knock on Doug. It's just the type of guy he is. He's got the module. He's going to run the module. Right. right. I mean, you you know Doug. We've known Doug for years. That's exactly what he would do. <laughs> right. I mean, Doug is a very by-the-book guy, which is great because when we get a new game, the first thing we do is hand the rule book to Doug. Right. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, everybody else punches stuff, and Doug reads the rules. Uh, but, uh, no, it was not my idea of a good time because it felt very sterile. It felt very on rails. I was playing a neutral evil cleric that was a Kenku. Okay. Uh, so, yes, evil Birdman cleric. Um, we were using the third edition. I, I don't think it was bef uh, when 3-5 hit, but we were using the uh, flaws for our characters. Right. And to make matters worse, beyond a neutral evil cleric, that was not healing, by the way. He was he was doing harm magic. Okay. <laughs> the character flaw that my character had was that he was paranoid. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. So, Doug wasn't quite sure, I think, how to handle when the character did what some of the things the character would do. And eventually, well, one of the uh, other players... Uh, did attack and ultimately kill that character. Oh, wow. Which, again, because it wasn't in the module how to handle that, uh, I don't know that it was handled. And this isn't just me because, oh, I lost a character. I'm a big boy. I can lose a character. But I know that as a DM, I probably would have handled the, the, that situation a little differently. But it wasn't in the module, so there was no handling of that character. So, yeah. Uh, right. I mean, the thing about a module is at, if you're going to run a module, you have to be prepared to deal with things that happen that aren't covered in the module. Right. Right. And I think and that that's the that beauty means, of the module is that your players should be taking you outside of the module and you have a template and it's up to you to on the fly either get the players back on rails without them realizing that that's what you're doing. Or take it and run and find a way to weave them back into the story. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I would agree with you 100%. When I played The Road to Uruk, I was playing a Thrykreen gladiator. So I was a an insect, basically. Right, right. And Did your insect you know, go to a dance at the Royal Ball? I'm sorry. No, I had to no, throw Strixhaven Drake in there. Nope, nope. There, my, my character did not dance. Uh, he was a good jumper, but not good leaper, <laughs> but not, not much of a dancer. Not much of a dancer. Right. But, um, yeah. And so you had to, not only did you have to deal with, like my character was, you know, a freed gladiator. So, you know, I was motivated by, by money. I wanted people to notice me. So like, it was interesting when something would come up, like they're like, okay, well, are you going to take the stealthy route? I'm like, no, I want people to see me because then everybody will know I did it and it will improve my fame. And so, like, it, it's kind of interesting, like, if you're staying, if your characters stay true to the character they've designed, like, you said your character was paranoid and that bothered some people, but if you stay true to that, 
then there are certain things that are going to come up in a module that uh, that are going to be really interesting for the DM. They're really going to have to adapt a little bit, at least, to that character and the way that they're going to do something. Well, sure. We were being guided up a mountain, and we got to the top, which was the entrance formal of the dungeon, right? Right. And um, that night, my character woke up, realized that the Sherpas that guided us up the mountain knew where we were and could tell other people how to find where we were, so he threw, threw the Sherpa off the mountain. So you killed your killed your mountain guide because your mountain guide knew where you were. Right. Uh, I thought it was great. Uh, his name was Polly. <laughs> my name is Polly. Ironically, Polly and my mother have a lot of similarities in the way that they speak. <laughs> I never realized this until now. This is the Polly voice. And this is the Elaine voice. <laughs> so your your mother is a parrot. Got it. Oh, my mother is something. <laughs> I uh, the, the problem you run into is, though, is if you have a DM that's not able to adapt on the fly or make those changes, I've actually paid to play a module and then had to sit out the module because they couldn't adapt to my character. Yes, yes. Please tell this story because we talked about it before, but because of time, it got cut in a previous episode. And I think okay. it is a very valuable story. Okay. So I used to be uh, a member of the Role-Playing Gamers Association. They would have sanctioned events where you would go to like a convention for a weekend. You would pay four time slots and you would play four-hour modules. You could sign up for as many modules as you wanted. Like they would, you would play two to three modules a day with meal breaks and things like that. You could sign up for a weekend pass. It was just like going to any other convention. So when I went, I signed up for a module and my sanctioned character for the event was a paladin. Sure. I was, I went in as a paladin. I went to the module. I came in and the first thing they said was, okay, you're going to the evil city of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, all right. Why are we going there? You're being paid to go there. Uh, well, according to the rules, my character donates, like they had a whole set of rules for paladins. Like I had to donate X amount of my treasure to the church. I'm not, I'm like, why am I going to an evil city? And they're like, oh, uh, you're going to sneak in. And I'm like, well, it says here I can't lie. I can't do this. I can't do that. Why am I going to the city? And they're like, uh... And so the guy literally read the module. He goes, you know what? Looking at the module, um, there's a lot of stealth, bluff checks, lying. He's like, there's a... He's, uh, he's like, you know, you're going into a country where the where your character would consider the laws unjust and evil. And uh, he's like, I can't think of a single reason to give you for your player to go into this module. He's like, I can refund your like $5 for the module and right. you can sit out. <laughs> Here's your five bucks. I, I can't deal with you. Right. Exactly. Why is this guy running a game? <laughs> right. I mean, there could be any number of reasons that I might have to go there. Oh, well, somebody's in trouble or, you know, uh, you're protecting another player who, you know, there could be, 
a thousand reasons you could think of off the top of your head. It's to real get easy. Somebody. The temple of your god has been defaced, and you need to go restore it. Boom, you're in sure. that town. Right. I was like, bam, no problem. Or, you know, uh, you know, uh, this other character who's uh, who that you know has to go there for family business and doesn't feel safe in this evil land without you at his side. Boom. Paladin would volunteer for that kind of, you know, adventure all day. He could have just partnered me up with somebody at the table who was of a similar level and said, you, you know, this guy and he has family business and you've got to keep him safe. Boom. Okay. I'm in, I'm invested. Hey, the church has ordered you to keep watch over this party. Boom. Sure. I mean, it astounds me the level of or lack thereof of intelligence that that sometimes just weak works its way in. Like I said, how did this guy get to be a DM? Especially at an organized play event. But I guess back then it was a little looser than it is right. now. Uh, it was hard to get people to volunteer for an organized play event. I actually wound up running a midnight session at one of the events. That's beautiful, and I'm sure you did a much better job. It was a Dark Sun event. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, so I, you, you had no problem running running that session. Yeah, I was like, I, I was in my element. They're like, oh, okay, you want to run a midnight session for 5th to 7th level player characters? I'm like, gimme. <laughs> well, here's to hoping that Wizards doesn't shit all over Dark Sun for you next because Spelljammer just continues to, to not look good and Dragonlance is is not far behind there. But no, I mean, that sounds like a, a wonderful example of a DM that just could not get off of the rails. Sure. And I think all of us have, if you've ever had a lot of modules, you've picked up one and then you read through it and went, well, this is a mess. Right? No, there. You know? I've, I've purchased modules, you know, guilty of cover art purchases. I, 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 I raise my hand. I'm raising it right now. No one can see me, but I'm in the studio <laughs> with my hand in the air. I am super guilty, especially with RPG books of cover oh, yeah. art purchases. I've bought modules and spent a lot of money. Even back when I didn't have the money to spend, I spent a lot of money on modules that as soon as I read, I said, nope, not going to do it. Not going to, not going to, it's not going to work for me. It's not going to work for my party or this is a fucking dung heap, man. <laughs> I, uh, I bought a module once and it was supposed to be a mystery, right? So it assumed that the characters would go all over town and talk to every character and it gave you a whole bunch of false leads, and oh. then the real clues were just would just like stumble like stumble out of the woods and tell them something. So like, literally, the module wound up being like when I read through it, I couldn't figure out the mystery, and I had the answer. Right, right. And I I'm mean, like, at that point, you no. just go play Scotland Yard because that's about the era that module probably came out. <laughs> And I was just like, yeah, but I've done that. I've read a module and go, gone either no or I'm going to have to make some serious changes to make this playable for my group. Well, speaking of playable for a group, we've had a lot of interest come into the NerdCognito email box. That's nerdcognitopodcast at gmail.com saying, hey, why don't you guys run an online session? Ugh. Ugh. 
Okay, I can get through this without without shitting on online D&D. Why don't you guys run an online session? We would love to play with you as a DM. Now, this is not anything that I can promise or commit to, but it's something that I wanted to throw out there, Bert. What do you, what do you think? You want to tag oh. team with me on an online <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons game anywhere from zero to six months down the road? I think uh, I think a one shot, you know, would be, you know, absolutely would be something that I'd be interested in doing. You know, obviously, we're not looking to start an online gaming group or something. I know how much you dislike ongoing online gaming. Yeah, well, so no. as a a one shot event would be a great idea. I think that that would be something that we can definitely investigate. And you know, for those of you that are interested, send me your pitches, and. Uh, we will read through. For those of you that are interested, send us your pitches. Nerdcognitopodcast at gmail.com. Tell us what you want to play and why in a one-shot format. And absolutely no promises, Bert. I know you have a jam-packed gaming schedule right now. Uh, Michael is indefinitely indisposed. I am starting a new venture next week. <laughs> so it ain't going to be anytime soon, folks, but we at least want to hear about it, and we'll definitely consider it. I'm not going to run Temple of Elemental Evil uh, online, and uh, I'm not 100% sure that we would be able to commit across the board to running a full campaign. But I think Bert has the right idea. You know, if we get enough conviction and convincing done we'll at least throw it up there because hey you know sure we do this for fun we do it for you guys and if it's something that we can do maybe we can look at investigating that angle down the road but uh i just wanted to throw that out there because that's come from two or three different folks okay and uh i said oh you know what we'll drop it on you Right before the end of the show, and I did absolutely. I dropped I it that, on uh, you. I think that if people, if we really want to make this a reality, though, we should put some general guidelines on what people are going to send us. You know? Oh no no uh, no 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 no! Leave it wide open. It, it, first of all, the internet should be the wild west. Anyhow, send it, send it, send it. The powers that be will get the emails, and then they will forward them to me, and then I will forward them to the team. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's that's fair enough. Besides, if someone wants to send something ridiculous, it'll give me something to mock online. <laughs> right, you, you know, when you get that request to play, you know, third edition epic level characters in a... Uh, oh, I'm sure in, it will come. And, and I know, you know, we have, I don't know, I, I, I'm using the, the royal we here, meaning me. I have my share of hate fuckers that I know subscribe and listen to this show just so that they can get irritated by listening to me, which I don't understand, but I know that it exists. It's also, I have the hate fuckers on Twitter. You can follow me and hate fuck me at I hate Ryan David. Um, when did I get to be the reasonable one? Ryan? You, you are, you are the voice of reason. I don't think that I'm unreasonable. I think that especially for the show and even more so online it's just me turned up to 11 
and people can't handle when I turn it up to 11. <laughs> so now that you've called them Sparkle Trolls online, you know you're going to get 30 requests for the My Little Pony uh, role play, tabletop role-playing game. <laughs> if they have a one-shot of My Little Pony, just to show the Sparkle Trolls that they can shove it up their ass, I will totally run it, and it will be <laughs> fucking epic. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> hey, at least it's out there. And uh, again, send those requests to nerdcognitopodcast at gmail.com. Well, that's all we've got for this week, Bert. It's not been the most interesting week, but we certainly made it interesting to talk about. I, <laughs> well, we do our best. We, we do, we do. They're, you know, we're at the mercy of what's going on in the world right now, and unfortunately. In the gaming world, there's a lot of pissing contests, and, you know, I just wanted to stay dry for a week. <laughs> right, right. There's a lot of pissing contests, and I'd rather not be pissed on. If uh, you're not already subscribed, go to the podcast provider of your choice. That could be Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you name it. Go there, hit that subscribe button. That'll make sure that you do not miss a single episode of Nerd Cognito. If you feel so inclined, we'd also appreciate the correct review, which is five stars, combat some of the sparkle trolls. And most importantly, beyond all of that, is if we made you laugh or if you like our chitter-chatter, please let your friends know to go to their podcast providers and subscribe as well. Well, that is all she wrote. My name is Ryan David. I was joined by Bert. Thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Be safe out there. <laughs>